Hello and welcome to The Scriptures Are Real. This is the podcast where we talk about elements that have made the scriptures become real to us because we believe the more real they are, the more power we can draw from them and we need all the help we can get. I'm your host, Kerry Mielstein, and I'm very excited about the guest I have with me today. We have Jonathan Nabrotsky, who I don't really know, uh, but uh, you know that I, I'm passionate about the scriptures becoming real. And as I was looking at a website, uh, the Jerusalem Centers, the BYU Jerusalem Center has a, an alumni group and they have a website and they had some videos that different people posted. And there was a video that Jonathan posted there about a time the scriptures became real. And I thought, oh, this is just the kind of thing we want to talk about. So uh, today is, uh, well, first of all, let me introduce uh, Jonathan, who uh, I, I've, he's just told me, I learned this just a second ago, but has been a, in the banking world now is in a consultancy firm, but I, I really don't know or starting his own consulting firm. I don't know much else than that, so I'll, I'll uh, let Jonathan introduce himself a little bit. Welcome, Jonathan. Thanks, Carrie. So wonderful to be with you and excited. I, anytime I get a chance to talk about Israel and the Jerusalem Center, um, I love it. So my um, my background, actually, I, I was planning to be a BYU professor and um, studied at, at BYU, went to the Jerusalem Center, went back to the Hebrew University and, and studied there with my wife. We were just um, married a couple of years. We had a, a, a young little infant daughter, our oldest, and um, came back and ended up uh, not, I was going to become the next Victor Ludlow. Um, that was the plan. He was my actual professor and then ended up going into sales and got into banking and I just loved it. And so I went that route, um, spent uh, my career all over the world. I worked for HSBC, one of the largest international banks and mm-hmm. I was an international manager for them, lived in India, lived in the Middle East, went back to um, Israel three more times other than that first time, and um, then spent about six years in London and then ended my career in banking in Hong Kong, and then retired from the bank about three years ago, and I've now moved back to Provo and have a consultancy firm called Global Leader Group, and we're about 17 partners, and we're just helping individuals and organizations learn how to be leaders in a better way. Um, so that's where where we're at. And I'm just north of the temple and wonderful to be on. And thanks for having me. Ah, glad glad to have you. Oh, and so, I, the important thing is I'm married to my incredible wife, Michelle, uh, for 25 years. And we have six children. Um, our, we, our first two are back from their missions. And our, our third is on a mission in the Dominican Republic. And then we have wow. three still at home. All right. So uh, how, how, what's the age span there? Uh, the oldest is she's 24 and the youngest. So I have two girls, oldest, and youngest. The youngest is seven, almost eight. And then four boys in the middle. All right. That, that'll keep you busy. Uh, it, it, they're, they're amazing. They're my life. That's great. Fantastic. Wonderful. Well, thank you. And thank you for making time to, to be with us. Uh, we're not going to really cover, uh, as uh, we often do, a specific set of readings or Uh, chapters or anything like that. Instead, we just want to put some things out there that might help the scriptures become more real for all of us. Uh, And I know you've had some experiences where that happened for you. And and I hope that as uh, you shared those experiences that it will happen for our audience as well. I love that. Um, Let me, I'll just kind of walk through, as I've been thinking about this opportunity to to be on on your podcast, I've been reflecting on my time there, um, and this was back in 1996, spring of 96 is when I was at the Jerusalem Center. Um, I had been home for my mission about a, about a year. And uh, I just, I fell in love with Israel. Um, and I remember that first time driving into 
Jerusalem from Tel Aviv and seeing mm. the Dome of the Rock and all of those things and just feeling home. Um, but when I got there, one thing that was interesting, I was really hoping that I was going to have these overwhelming, incredible spiritual experiences. Um, and I, I don't, that was just, I think I had the wrong expectations or what it was. And I was feeling the spirit every day, but it was just the normal way we feel the spirit. If I always say, if you want to know what it's like to, to, to feel the spirit in Israel, just go to the temple. It's not much different. Right. Yeah. And so I was just er, er, like thriving or, or just so much wanting this, these experiences. And I remember I'd been there. I was probably about maybe, maybe in about halfway through into the experience. And I was up on the Jerusalem center, a balcony on the main level right where the chapel is and looking out over the city and just in prayer by myself, it was late at night. And, um, and I just, I started to, to sing. I, um, as I have loved you. And then I, which of actually, course comes from the, the, uh, the great last sermon that's recorded in John at, at the upper room. Right. So, correct. And I, and yeah. I'm looking out seeing, the Dormition Abbey and over in the, in the kind of the, the Western side of the city, right where the upper room was. Um, I was thinking about that. Now I, I made, and I'll share this later experience. I made the decision that I wasn't going to go to the upper room until the last week when we do the walkthrough of his, of the last week of the savior's life. I wanted to save it for that. Others mm -hmm. were like, let's go. And I'm like, I'm, I'm saving, it. I'm saving it. So I knew where it was, but I hadn't been there. And all of a sudden I sang it once and then I sang it in Spanish because I was used to singing in Spanish. So I, um, como se amado, amada otros. And as I was singing, I felt this overwhelming, like you have those sustaining moments in your life <laughs> that are kind of beyond the normal everyday, gentle, still small voice that was just almost like you're flooded with the spirit. And I felt this and it, and I, and I was thinking to myself, these words were spoken here. And, and, and I grew up with the savior, obviously always a believer, but in some ways it was kind of like, he was a little bit more like not fantasy, <laughs> but kind of this distant make believe. I believed in, I served my mission. I loved him. I, I read about him, but it just, like the realness of it started in that, in that moment. Um, then another experience I had, and this is the one that I shared on the Jerusalem Center alumni website. We were up at the Sea of Galilee at Nangev. And it was, I was just at, by this point loving it. And I'd been to anyone that knows the old city, you know, Shabam's um, mm. shop. And I love it. I go into her and you'd say, I'd like to come in. He goes, oh, come in, come in. I'm a BYJ. Very good, very good discount. Mormon discount, very good discount for you. Come and see. I know Steve Young. I know so many people. Come in, come in. My store. And we go in and I bought these sandals and he called them Jesus sandals. I don't know how sacrilegious that is, but that's what he called them. That's what everyone calls them there. Yeah. So, yeah. And, I, and I had these wonderful um, sandals that I just love. And I remember walking again, kind of at dusk and you have the beautiful sunsets over the Sea of Galilee. And as the sun's getting over that ridge where you can see kind of the drop off ridge in the corner. And I'm feeling, and a little pebble got into my sandal. And it was another moment where I'm just flooded and recognizing that 
out of all the places, this is a place he loved so much. And I love that you, I know I've heard the expression that one thing great about the Sea of Galilee is you can't put a church in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. So it's pristine. Yeah. You get this feel yeah. that it's so close to how it was back then. And I realized, again, he became so real in that moment because he also felt pebbles in his, in his sandals. And the realization of him becoming real was just so powerful for me. It was, it, again, it's a, it's a simple thing. It's, of course, we know that. Yeah. But it just hit me in that moment, even more so than any other time in my life. And I just started weeping and just so grateful for his sacrifice, but also his mortality, that he was a real person, divine in all that. But he was a real person that got up every day and put his sandals on and brushed his hair and brushed his teeth with a twig or whatever it was at the time. And and it just, um, it, it I think it helps me when I'm praying to visualize him and think about him and think about the heavenly father, when I'm praying, it's just th that realizing that they are real people, not ethereal, not out there somewhere in the universe. They're actually listening to me um, or the father, the father is as I speak. And, and I actually will tell the father all the time when I'm praying, please let the Jesus know my love and, yeah. And kind of extend to him as I'm praying to you to let him know I'm thinking of him. And um, but anyways, it was this it was a pretty powerful, amazing experience for me. Maybe I, I really, really appreciate that. And, and maybe we could just explore that a, a little bit if it's all right. I, I know one time I was with the, uh, it was a, a lunch where there were a number of uh, preachers. There was at BYU, but we brought in uh, chaplains and preachers from other uh, faiths to be there and there was a discussion being had at my table um as to you know some some people would say some faith traditions would say that jesus was fully divine and just uh, having uh, you know not not really mortal but in in uh, mortality but still as a fully divine being and others would say no he, he was fully mortal and some would say well he's he's half moral half divine and, and they wondered what my opinion was and i had to think about it for a little while and i I told him, I said, you know, I can't really speak for the church, but I believe that what we believe is that he was both fully 100% divine and fully 100% mortal at the same time. He mm -hmm. was a divine being, but he was having a completely mortal experience. And the kind of mortal experience where you walk a lot and your feet get tired and your knees get tired, and then you get a pebble in your sandal or you get this gritty uh, dirt in there and there's no is some a lot of the places you walk there's no way to wash it off there's no water or anything right and and it's you just got to keep walking but it's just not comfortable and mm -hmm. and realizing that kind of thing makes you think well okay so he probably had stomach aches probably had oh, fevers blisters, probably had ear infections and, yeah. he had blisters in his knees and yeah all of that, just like all, all of the, us yeah and to think of a divine being the great jehovah who is walking and and it hurts and he's tired and then he stops and he heals people and that probably makes him more tired and so on and so on uh i think that's just worth thinking about as we we read this highly poetic and i'm so grateful for it, but it's highly poetic language coming from the savior in the in the new testament and uh and it may gloss over that while he's saying that his his back aches He's standing, teaching, and and his body wants him to sit down, and his knee hurts, and he's got something in his shoe that's 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 painful, and he goes on anyway, 
right? And and those kinds of things, I think, as we're reading, uh, and I don't even know yet what week we'll post this for, so I don't know what people will be reading as they uh, as we're uh, as they're listening to this. But whatever you're reading, stop and think about how real that was—the pebble and the sandal, as it were—for uh, Jesus uh, during whatever else it is he's doing. You know, teaching the apostles as they walk, and he's limping or whatever, right? Uh, uh, that's real stuff. That, that, that's very real. I, I, there's a, I'm, I'm sure you've seen the chosen or heard of the chosen. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, I love it. I think, um, and I know that the church doesn't officially endorse it, um, but, but I they think facilitated it. They yeah. facilitated. They let him use the Goshen side, and yeah. There's a scene in in the first season. I think it's in episode three, the one with the children, and uh. Jesus has this little cut on his arm. And he's kind of just taking care of it. Yeah. And then he gets up and he does his stretches. And it just, um, there's an there's a great interview with Dallas Jenkins, who's the director and kind of creator of this, and Jonathan Rumi, who plays Jesus. And they're talking about how do you approach this role? And he says, you know, I, I can't even begin to think about the divinity of mm. Jesus. So I'm, I've chosen to play the mortality of Jesus. And you almost see every time in the in the series when there is the moments when he's quoting something about himself. So when he's having the Nicodemus discussion, he's talking about that. And he says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He gets emotional every time there's a part where the divinity side comes, even the way the actor's portraying it is the humility of even Jesus being like, why me? Or how did I get this? Like the, it's just this beautiful thing. So I, I think of that a lot, the mortality of him. I, I think that how else can he understand us? Yeah. If he doesn't, there a lot of it he experienced. Not everything, of course. The atonement was able to overshadow reason and let him understand things at a different, deeper level. But I think a lot of he understood betrayal. He understood frustration. He understood bullying. He understood all the things that we're dealing Loss with. Loss of loved lives. ones. He exactly. I mean, he, he understood it. And that, I think that helps me feel actually even closer to him. It almost elevates his divinity when I also focus and recognize his mortality. I, I agree. I agree. I, I appreciate all the more the condescension of God. I love that. That's a great way to put it. That's, that's, see, this is why you're a professor. You're, you're, you say it in a better way. <laughs> uh, no, I, I I know who to crib it from. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> so I think you had a, another experience that you were. Uh, yeah. Um, well, two two other experiences that um, and these were. I, my time at the Jerusalem Center, I, I do look at my mission as my foundation of getting to know the Savior and the doctrines. And getting to know the church and how it works and a lot on leadership. I, my mission was incredible. I served in Connecticut, Spanish speaking. Mm. And my mission president was this an amazing man, um, M. Del Ensign. He was an executive with Sinclair Oil, but he's one of my heroes. I actually named my youngest son, Matthew Dell Nebrotsky, after M. Del Ensign. That's um, great. And and, and then, um, and also my father-in-law's name is Dale. So there's, Dale is a big thing for me. Um, but, but I look at the Jerusalem center. So that's the foundation. My mission mm -hmm. was a lot of that foundation, but my time in Israel is really where I think my relationship with the savior went to a new level. 
and the scriptures came to life. Um, I love the scriptures and and two experiences that that really were part of that foundation that has stuck with me my whole life that is sustaining for me where I don't have doubts. I know that there's faith crisis that people have and there's plenty of things I don't know, but what I know, I know. And the things I don't know, I just know that they'll work themselves out and I don't focus on that, right? Um, but so one experience was a simple one. We were in the Valley of Elah and this is where David and Goliath took, took place. And um, Don Beasley was my, my, my leader, my professor there and just love him and Annette, his wife. And we were sitting on outside the valley and he was talking and we all had our little pebbles and we had our slings that we got that we were going to get ready to kind of reenact this. And I remember looking out there and visualizing where the Israelites were and where the Philistines were. And, and just, it came to life. I could picture little David going up to Goliath and the brook, and you don't have the brook there, but you can see where it would have gone in the middle of the valley. And, and those are the things that you really can't experience that unless you're there is a reality. There's a lot of yeah. places in Israel where you have, where the, it, it comes to life because you can visualize it. Mm-hmm. And it, and it is so sustained. Like when I do, when I take the sacrament, I visualize starting in the upper room and then walking through the old city and going to the garden and then walking over to Caiaphas's palace and then walking over to Antonio Fortress. I visualize that every Sunday when I take the sacrament and it comes to life and, and kind of the crowning experience was I mentioned at the beginning, the upper room, the two, the two places where I feel this, the three places I have to say that I feel the spirit, the strongest in Jerusalem is the upper room, the garden tomb, and not the garden of Gethsemane, the, uh, the church there, but actually Orson Heights park, mm-hmm. those three, which places is just above so, that. Oh, just above it. Right. And it's yeah. part of the Mount of Olives. So it's part yeah. of the garden. You can, yeah, see and, and there the are all of trees there. there still. Yep. Yeah. But we so so saving that last um, week to go to the upper room. So when we walked in the upper room, there were about forty of us students with um, brother and sister Beasley, and we walked in, and there was a Pentecostal group from the Czech Republic, and um, they were speaking in Czech. And one of our member, one of our uh, students, he actually served there. She was telling us what they were talking about, and they were worshiping in a way that is not how we worship. It was speaking in tongues and, and, and moving all over and energy. And, and for a lot of students, I could see that they had, I, I served them on the Spanish people of, of Connecticut. And so I saw a lot of Pentecostal worship. Um, but this was different for others. It was like the first exposure to a very different way to worship. Yeah. And it was loud and, and noisy and, and, and I believe sincere. So I'm not saying they weren't sincere, but it was just so different than us. Mm-hmm. As that group left, there were two little British ladies that were sitting there and they stayed. And then Brother Beasley walked up the steps in the corner. You can picture, visualize that. And he got up there and he read the hymn reverently and meekly now. And then for 30 minutes, we just sang hymns. And this was in June because I was there in spring. And I've been back bef- again when I lived there in June never was the upper room not bombarded with people yeah and nobody walked in for 30 minutes 
And in fact, now they won't even let you sing because they, they want you to hurry through and they, they don't want the noise going down to the museum below and that kind of thing. So you're not even able this to do that. This was 96. This was nice. Yeah. It, was, it was a while ago. Yeah. As we were singing um, towards the end, we sang my favorite sacramental hymn, which is In Humility, Our Savior. So in humility, our Savior. As we're singing that, literally in the middle of the song, I think there was two, but it might have just been one. A dove flew in the room and perched itself on one of the pillars in the middle of the room. And all of us just, <laughs> you, you can't have an experience like that and not be touched by it. Um, and to me, it was so symbolic of the Savior, of his sacrifice, of the sacrament, all the things that that hymn was preaches to. And as soon as we ended that song, the dove flew out the other side. Hmm. But it was an experience that to this day, even as I think about it, I feel the spirit. I'm, I'm buoyed up by that a lot, that the reality of Jesus in my life is, I, I love what President, Hink, what President Nelson has taught us about repenting every day. Let's make the atonement active every day in our lives, every day. Um, and as and as I think about my time there, I do. I these these were like four pinnacle experiences for me, but the rest of the two months, which is ninety five to ninety six percent of my time <laughs> there, it was gentle and subtle, and not any different than sitting in church, not any different than sitting in the temple. And and I think I learned from that first experience about singing I stand, or, uh, as I loved you, that if, you wanna, if you're going to go to Jerusalem, you're going to go to Israel, and if you want to feel the Savior there, you have to bring him with you. Hmm. There's nothing magical, really, about being there to feel the Spirit. Because you can feel that anywhere. Now, the... The, the experience of seeing the sights and the scriptures coming to life is unique to the Holy Land. <laughs> it, it is unique. It's like going to the Sacred yeah. Grove or like going to Nauvoo. You're going to, the, the, the setting does enhance our experience because it's visual. Right. But the feeling, if I want to go and feel what it's like to go to the Sea of Galilee, I'm going to go to the temple this week and feel it. That's, sure. that's I think, what I've learned from my time there in Israel. That's very good. Very good. And it's worth also thinking about, um, I know this is the case for students on the Jerusalem Center program, but also for students in my, my classroom, that there will be times where one person is feeling the spirit incredibly powerfully and another is not. And they wanted to, and they're just not. And they ask themselves, is something wrong with them or something along those lines? And my, my answer to that would be, no, the spirit comes to each person on the timing that God knows is important for that person. Uh, and our key is to just be available. So what you don't want is when the timing is right, that you weren't available to the spirit. Uh, like so the, the key for us is to just be available so that when God knows it's the right time for us to have those kinds of experiences uh, that we can. And and then uh, it, because most of the time we're sustained by just small, simple experiences, as you said. But but when we have those other experiences, we need to write them down or something so we can remember them. And in fact, Maybe you've just kind of, uh, as you were talking about the dove, uh, it, you, you mentioned that to me earlier, but I didn't think of that this then. But uh, now I'm thinking of a story maybe I'll just share because uh, I don't know when I would share it in the reading. Um, when uh, our, our first time teaching at the Jerusalem Center, so I wasn't a student uh, in 94, um, but uh, we were teaching in 
2010 and 11. And in 2011 in April, I have a daughter that turned eight. So we went down to the Jordan River to the traditional site of the baptism and, and we baptized her. And it was muddy. She's in her little white dress and comes up and it's covered in mud and stuff like that. But, um, but you know, as we do it, we were lucky we got there and the huge tour groups came right after, but it was just us there and the wind is blowing through the, the rushes and so on. You can kind of picture what it would have been like for the Savior. Uh, and then we, we come up and she changes clothes and, and um, there's a little podium there that we're, we're like, we had some family in town and uh, we were doing a little service. And so my, my son was going, no, I think it was my father-in-law. I can't remember now who it was, was talking about the Holy Ghost. And, uh, and there's a little pillar there with a depiction of the Holy Ghost landing on, or the, the dove landing on Jesus and a dove as he's talking, a dove flies past and then turns around and flies past again. Right. And, yeah, I mean, they feed doves there, so that's not that big of a, but it's still the timing. You just feel like, wow, that, that there, there's something about that that just felt so real. And the spirit really was was strong for us. Um, and then I've forgotten about it. And it took you to help me remember it. Right. But um, that's the thing I wish I, I, I'm pretty sure I wrote that in my journal and that kind of a thing. But I hope that we will take these uh, experiences wherever they happen that make God or the scriptures more real for us and, and we'll write them down and we'll review them from time to time. Uh, make them like our small plates, as it were, the things of our soul, uh, because there are times where we're not feeling the spirit, but when we remember what has ha God has done for us in the past uh, and how his love, his power and his uh, scriptural stories have become real to us. If we can bring that back to us often a degree of that, that feeling will come back to us and sustain us through the times where we're not feeling it as strongly. I love that. And, and it's so fun to reminisce and think about, cause I also like you, I don't, I don't talk about this that often because it's, is it appropriate? When's the right time? How does it yeah. work? So it's been amazing to recollect and share. And, and, and I love when I share it because it's, it's the, the that feeling comes back to me of remembering it and visualizing it. I think that is the magic is we all learn in different ways. And to have, when you're in Israel, you have all of your senses infused. Mm. You've got the smells, the sounds, the sights, the feeling of the, the, the ground and all that's there. And, and, and it, and it does enhance the experience because it's, it's all the ways that we can learn at one time and not just relying on the spirit it's kind of bringing the spirit and the body and the mind all together and that's why it is amazing forever. i mean i don't know anyone that hasn't gone that doesn't have an amazing experience yeah yeah uh, and and we hope that uh obviously this podcast is not a substitute for something like that nor is it a substitute for the temple nor for the scriptures. In fact, one thing I would like to say more often than I do on the podcast, and I hope uh, that I will remember to say it more often, is that uh, we hope that this becomes an aid for you, but we really, really don't want it to be. I listen to the podcast instead of doing the scripture reading. Uh, that's not what we want ever. There's no substitute for reading the scriptures, but um, we hope that we can provide a small degree of that for people to help them uh, have the scriptures become just a little more real, whether you've been to the Holy Land or Nauvoo or wherever, uh, whether you've been there or not. Uh, either way, we hope that this can make things just a little more real for you so that uh, you can find ways to apply it to your life a little bit better. Well, and that's one of the magic of going there is you actually read the scriptures a ton when you're at the Jerusalem Center. Uh, so it is 
the, I mean, the, the majority of those spiritual feelings are sitting at the site, reading the scriptures about that, being in Caesarea Philippi and reading about thou art the Christ and where else are we going to go? And, and you, and it, 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 it is that I, I love that because I, I couldn't agree more that the scriptures, um, they do come to life though there, but it is yeah. reading the scriptures that actually a lot of those, those times and hymns are a lot of times pulled from the scriptures. So yeah, that that experience of I uh, of as I have loved you is scriptural. It's His words, and so I love that. Thank you. Well, we hope uh, if this has been helpful for someone in our audience, that uh, they will share it with someone else, and uh, and that it makes a difference for the, the lives of many. So, thank you, Jonathan, and thank you to our audience. Yeah, we so hope you all have to be a, with a you. Great and day. thanks for the chance to recollect and. Can't wait to listen to your podcast. Ah, well, thank you. Bless you. <laughs>